You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I watched this film several hundred times in preparation, and the first thing that struck me really was the brilliant decision to make the first frame the final frame. Uh, so you can kind of trace a clear line from this as one of the earliest examples of nonlinear storytelling, uh, all the way from D.W. Griffith to Dolly to Altman and eventually uh, Tarantino. Um, I think the original title was The Horse in Motion. Is that right? Well, obviously, the, the, the name of the film works in another way where um, if you if you read it backwards and you cleave it, the name is also Motion in the Horse. And that works well with what we were talking about where it, it cycles on itself. And that sort of idea is encapsulated in the film. And then it's reflected in the title. I think it's a little obvious in the title when it does it that way, where it, it plays too hard into its own idea and makes it a little, a little in your face. And I didn't love that part. I would have liked to have realized that by myself rather than it being shoved into me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But um, no, it, it, it works. It's functional. Um, and it does describe it. Yeah, so the title does profoundly change the meaning of the film, potentially. There's the title, and there's and then there's the original title, right? The actual title is Sally Gardner at a Gallop. The original title is The Horse in Motion, and The Horse in Motion is impersonal. It strips the horse of individuality, refuses to actually name the action it's partaking in, robbing it of agency as well. But the actual title, which is much better, personalizes the horse, Sally Gardner. The horse has a name. It's not just in motion, it's doing a specific motion and action. And Sally Gardner being the name of the horse, boy, there's something very powerful about that, powerful and disturbing about this idea of a strong, graceful female being used by a man for his own ends. In fact, you could say the very act of photographing this is maybe the first example of the male gaze. Uh, I think that's true. And also with the title, it's um, knowing both titles, you can tell that when it says Sally, if it was, if let's say we put it as um, Sally Gardner in motion or the horse at a gallop, that initially makes more sense. But I think that playfully including making well known the divergent titles where if it was if it was sally gardner in motion you might you might think of a person rather than um, than a horse or the horse at a gallop just kind of seems like it's purely descriptive and might tempt someone into just taking the film at face value might not actually try to indicate that there's something else there so i think that's a great place to start with it yeah no i i agree completely and the film itself I would say fairly minimalist. I'm, I'm going out on a bit of a limb there, but a pretty minimalist film, presumably anticipating the endless bustle and complexity of the information age and maybe even providing a preemptive counterpoint a century in advance. Definitely an interesting artistic choice not to have any narrative, character development, dialogue, color, or even really sound of any kind. Well, I think the sound is implied by the title. Mm, um, when you think call. of a gallop, you you immediately think of the thump, the thump, the, the thump. And I think that just by trying to invoke that, the film is trying to say you should be imagining what the sound is 
is. It's not the, the film's responsibility to to reach you in that way. It's it actually is asking something of the watcher where it, most films that came after you sound as something where it's like, well, you see something, you see a glass fall from a from a counter and it smashes. I don't need to be told by the film that it's going to make a crashing sound. Mm, yeah. um, and so it was a little bit anticipatory or this this films it's an it's one of it's an older film. And it doesn't quite spoon feed its audience with things like audio where, uh, yeah, I get it. Yes, I'm going to hear those sounds. I could have done that myself. That analysis was done for me. Yeah, no, excellent point. Excellent point. Um, and so there's a there's a possibly apocryphal origin story here about why this film was made. Uh, people say it came from a bet about whether or not a horse's feet completely leave the ground when it gallops, because that's a hard thing to tell, you know, without actually photographing it. And I kind of feel like by investigating that question empirically, you could say this 19th century film is actually a stunning rebuke to Trump and the post-fact society we live in right now. And maybe the fact that there was a bet involved makes it, I don't know, a critique of late capitalism or something. Don't think initially it was supposed to be that throughout the kind of troubled filming stages of this film, it was a little serendipitous where the themes of the film became more poignant and relevant throughout. And then the, I think the film's creators would just say, initially it wasn't supposed to be a rebuke to Trumpism, but it was something eternal that was being questioned by Trumpism. I think the, we're talking about post-fact and post-truth. This film, like you're saying, is not just minimalist. It's, it's supposed to just be pure truth. It's supposed to just describe. It's not supposed to um, supposed to pretend to be something better than it's not. But in that act, in the act of trying not to 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 be devoured by pretension, it becomes something incredibly poignant. Where it's it's a metaphor for goodness. I would say. Yeah, I wonder if you know when that opportunity presented itself as they were filming, if if, if they sort of made some changes in the editing room. You know, maybe this is largely a process of editing. Um, I would say it wanes a little in the second act, though. Frame six a lot longer than it needs to be, and frame ten has the horse and rider kind of behaving wildly out of character just to advance what little plot there is. But I can live with that, given how strong it is everywhere else. Well, not only, but you you're referencing frame six. I believe frame six is right around when the horse's legs actually lift off. You're you're talking about where it drags a bit. I think that is actually uh, it might be a bit reflective of the hubris of the of the person who commissioned the film Leland Stanford. And you're talking about the bet that it was inspired by. He couldn't help but make sure that it lingered on his on on it showing how correct he was. And it's something where art actually reflected. Um, something very deep and personal and petty, to be honest, in the creator itself. And I think it shows that um, you noticed it. It bends the rules of reality a little bit to actually get to to being like it kind of like needles uh, the audience forever questioning the, the author's intent or and it's not necessarily the author's intent, uh, but the producer's intent. And that actually might be something that was post-production. I bet that in the uh, in the director's cut, that probably goes by in no time at all. But then afterwards... There was pressure put on the editor to slow it down. Yeah, this is a classic case of commerce influencing art when it should be the other way around. Uh, it's, it's, it's a shame to see that happens, even with a film we think of as a classic like this, still subject to commercial limitations uh, in, in the editing bay. You mentioned hubris earlier. This is, I think, plainly a metaphor for the American story. I mean, just a whirlwind tour of 20th century America. It starts in media res with the horse already beginning to run. And then it begins to gallop, which is, I think is a clear reference to the Roaring Twenties. And by the seventh frame, the horse is extended and the tail is perfectly flat. Basically the most aerodynamic, probably a symbol to the Soviet space race or something. And then by frame 10, there's a single hoof planted harshly on the ground, almost straight, or if you will, a boot stomping on a human face situating us in Reagan's oppressively deregulated 1984. And then the final frame is actually the first again. And it's both animal and rider standing still representing the so-called end of history 
status quo of the late 90s and the Clinton years, right before it was shattered, of course, leading us to modern day. Well, that's pretty obvious now, or after this many views, but um, if you actually kind of reflect upon the normal viewer's interaction, they might just see this once, consider it as a um, as a piece of art history and then move pretty quickly on the film's meanings doesn't actually start to hit you until you've actually gotten the chance to watch it a few hundred times you're talking about when it loops in on itself the the individual scenes stop mattering and you start considering as an actual not as a gallop not as a as a as a short race because you kind of see it as a as a cycle of birth and rebirth where the person or the horse might not even be the same horse you might see this horse. You might see Sally Gardner. The first one might have been Sally Gardner. But um, as you continue on, you you realize that you're interpreting it as if this horse is the same horse every time. But there's no reason for you to believe that. This could be – I think this is intentionally shot. You're talking about the minimalistic way. It's almost like a silhouette um, where – Wild them in the end, you got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit. <laughs>